You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging in to Thank You for Your Servers. I am Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. And I am Gary Guthrie, a.k.a. Gary Guthrie. (laughs) And this is our almost periodical rants about the tech topics of the day or the week from a liberty perspective this and other podcasts are brought to you by make liberty great again network of podcasts and with no further ado let's get it in um new CRISPR 9 technique could fix almost all genetic diseases bit of a hyperbolic article um i mean you know kind of what is the title I don't think I don't think we could I don't think we can go go out on a limb and say from a grandiose point of view that it's going to fix all genetic diseases. But well, bear with it, us here while we read through if, this. If it can I fix know. my goofy looking head, then uh, I'm in. Yeah, or or maybe my propensity to you know um, not process sugars well or something like that. I don't know lactose <laughs> intolerance. Uh, I don't know. Um, make my beer drinking skills better. I mean, oh, there you go. Things yeah, sign me up. <laughs> so what we're discussing, what we're kind of alluding to right now is CRISPR, CRISPR Cas9. So um, I guess what's the sh- you know, CRISPR Cas9 is short for clustered, regularly interspaced, short, palindromic repeats, and CRISPR associated protein nine. I'm so glad you explained that to me. Oh, that, dude, it is crazy that it. Uh, we just call it. I think in the vernacular in the press, it's just CRISPR, um, and the dash Cas9 thing is just. You know, well, I'll explain in a minute. So um, these two scientists, by the name of, uh, well, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess you'd call them scientists, by the name of Dr. Andrew um, Anzoli, uh, Anzoli and Dr. David Liu. Uh, working at the Broad Institute, kind of came up with this new, new and improved technique for CRISPR uh, Cas9, um, a less error prone DNA editing method uh, that can correct m- many more kind of harmful mutations uh, that people suffer for. Uh, according to the article, uh, uh, their potential exists to be able to correct up to 89% of what these uh, inherited and genetic mutations that most of us uh, humans suffer from. So some background, right? Um, for those of you who have been following, thank you for your service from the beginning, in our, I guess we can call it our inaugural episode and or I guess our, our, our what's it, pilot episode, we actually did discuss some of the crazy techniques, uh, some of the more crazier characters that were wanting to use CRISPR to like make themselves become genetically something else um we had discussed kind of the pros and cons of this but i don't think we've really ever in this at least in this form explained what exactly crispr cas9 is um bear with me i got really really interested in this 
a couple of weeks back when I started researching for the show and to explain this because it's very, very hard to kind of get your head around, but I'm going to try. So the new technique they described is, is a faster, cheaper, and more accurate and more efficient than existing gene editing methods. So CRISPR as a technology is just, is, is in a, is within this family of gene, um, gene editing kind of techniques. And I will go to the, the NA, NIH, uh, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, you know, big, big government, um, basically explains what kind of the, the gene editing via CRISPR-9, a uh, CRISPR-Cas9 is. And basically, in the short of it is, it's basically taking what bacteria do naturally when it comes to fighting off viruses. Here's the sequence here. So when bacteria are kind of hanging hanging out around <clears throat> around your cells and, and, and kind of your immune system, when a virus comes in, what what ends up happening is that the bacteria or and or this bacterial mechanism copies a portion of that virus as it comes in into this CRISPR array, right? Which what it comes from is basically the pattern or the signature of this virus. It remembers this, so virus runs its course, runs its course, immune system fights it off. It happens. The next time the same virus comes in. It has this crisp, this, now this bacteria has this CRISPR array signature of the virus coming in. It subsequently then knows with via, it can then basically via RNA and an enzyme go into that virus and basically fight it, cut out the portion of the virus that it remembers via its CRISPR array, and that helps it fight off the virus. Using this kind of hacking, it's kind of a cool hack. What CRISPR-9, Cas9 allows us to do as mere humans is if there is a genetic um, um, uh, mutation, then basically they use this this bacterial technique of A, creating the RNA sequence of uh, RNA, um, creating the RNA that can target the particular DNA sequence. It then has a piece of the corrected DNA sequence that it needs to use. And then this bacterial kind of technique uses this, what is called a Cas9. In this instance, it's called CRISPR-associated protein 9. They, it, it can use other proteins too to basically go in and do the actual molecular snipping of the one of, of, the, of, the, of, of the genome. And then using the natural repair, um, the natural, what is it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Using the natural technique that cells use to repair itself, it then is supposed to now repair itself with the new RNA, or with the new DNA that the bacteria or, or carrier has. And this is a very error-prone process because it might not take the first time. So... This new technique basically allows it to be a lot more precise in repairing a particular sequence of, of what is it, A, T, G, C, you know, those letters that make up DNA. Right. Or, or the, you know, those, those enzymes, I guess, that make up DNA. And it allows it to be a lot more precise. So think of it as going from scissors to, uh, what is it, from scissors to, I don't know, a like pencil. A scalpel. And or... then... 
Yeah, and then moving more to like a word processor. This new technique is like a word processor. Oh, I so see. it gives okay. a, a lot more granularity and the ability to do this. Um, hmm. So yeah, CRISPR nine is like so CRISPR nine in its current incarnation is like this blunt instrument when it comes to gene editing. Uh, programming a piece uh, a piece of guide RNA and telling the CRISPR basically everything I ex- attempted terribly to explain. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this new technique is better. So it's it's kind of like you'll be able to do this much more fine uh, a much more fine tuned method of doing this very technique I clumsily tried to describe. So according to Lou's calculations, like I said, there is a potential to correct up to 89% of the mutations that are inheritable, um, uh, that cause inheritable human disease. Wow. There's still a lot more research that needs to be done. There's still going to be a lot more um, uh, trial and error. But we're getting much, much better at this stuff. Do you think we're getting anywhere near a... uh, I mean, obviously moving from doing these kinds of tests and experiments on frogs and whatnot, moving from that to humans. I mean, are we anywhere near uh, that stage of the development of this? Or, I mean, I understand the, the technology is is very promising, but, um, you know, what does the bureaucracy have to say about this? It's just so happened that uh, as I was going down this rabbit hole researching kind of this topic, on Netflix, um, for those of you who have it, there is an excellent documentary that is, uh, it's a three-part documentary, and I've watched the first two, and it's called Unnatural Selection. Um, you know, put it in your cues, Netflix and chill on that. But it actually, there actually are companies that are trying to commercialize these, these using these techniques to cure, uh, I think one of the, you know, you know, heart, you know, heart tugging stories is about a young young man uh, who's uh, he's eight or nine years old. He was born with this kind of uh, uh, heritable human disease where his sight will eventually go away. He will eventually go blind. And they were trying to get into this trial where you can give them. You're basically using this technique. To go in and correct that genetic, you know, uh, uh, abnormal abnormality, so to speak, and yeah, there there are. It's very expensive. Obviously, the the documentary turns um, very progressive, very leftist, very quickly. But but you know, lamenting the high cost of drugs and the drug of companies course. and this, yeah. that, and that. But all, interestingly enough, this does ex- this this does exist. There are companies that are jumping through the hoops of bureaucracies globally to bring this in. What the 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 flip side of this kind of documentary, I don't know, and I don't really get the narrative here. I don't know if they're trying to villainize these people or not. But there's this group of biohackers that are just kind of doing it on their own. Um, I know one group was trying to create a new retroviral cocktail for HIV positive people that they're they're trying to reverse engineer what's already kind of uh, commercially available because HIV has become, I mean, you know, newsflash guys, something you can live with for all intents and purposes. It's like just live. It's getting to the point. It's not there yet, but it's getting to the point. If you can get the treatment like living with herpes, 
Right. We are, we are, we are not that far away from that. But the drugs are still, even though they've come down in cost over the last 20 years, they're still expensive. And so there's this other story within the documentary that they're trying to use, you know, these techniques to create better, newer kind of uh, antiviral cocktails. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's frightening that these backyard biohackers are trying to do these things. Um, they're trying to do something with insulin too, I think. Um, and yeah, this, there are people outside of the mainstream who are trying to do this. There's some danger associated with that, but it is what it is. And then there's people within the mainstream who are trying to commercialize these techniques. And so we're getting there. And once we get to some later stories, we're going to discuss um, revisiting our quantum supremacy story from um, last time. Um, you, you start to kind of realize if you stay out of the malaise that is political discourse, particularly even in tech, and you really start following, I particularly created a Twitter list that follows people doing research in quantum information processing, artificial intelligence and machine learning. You start to learn that like we're going to figure out a lot of these things very quickly. Um, and like the techno the enabling technologies that are now allow us to be- to develop really just very granular, almost programming programmable capabilities with this CRISPR Cas9 system, right? And we're just getting better and better at it. We will be able to do this. It's soon. very interesting to me that the you know with this type of technology, we're moving beyond you know chemical treatment. Uh, you know, i.e. drugs to digital treatment, right? More and natural. I, I think more analog in the sense that like it's more natural. We're allowing a biologic, we're learning to harness the biological processes that exist today to correct all kinds of uh, ills in, in, in human beings. It's exciting. Um, I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Now, is it going to be in time for us, us old farts here, to uh, take advantage of it? Eh, probably not. I think it will. It probably will improve our our end of life care. Um, these techniques, um, in whatever form they take. But I, I'm I'm I like the fact that from a liberty angle, man, this will be liberty through technology from like inheritable human diseases in the future. Um, you know, and it's all because, you know, we're just, we have the computational power. We're learning through examples. We're learning through clinical trials. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've always been, I always poo poo clinical trials because I think they're just, sometimes they're unnecessary hoops to jump through, but it also gives us a tremendous amount of data to see, you know, what's going on. And, and it will help give acceptance, more mainstream acceptance to these techniques going forward. So very transformative yeah. stuff. And uh, I hope, oh God, I hope that, um, I, I, I kind of root for these biohackers as, you know, the, <laughs> the, you know the, my hidden anarchist in me. But at the same time, I hope they're being smart about it. And I hope that them screwing, screwing something up doesn't cause like the state to come down hard and, and really impede the technology yeah i kind of don't um, want a mutant frog going out and starting to breed with the uh you know the natural frogs behind my house and 
No, no. <laughs> to the credit of these biohackers here, do you remember the story of? I don't know if it was in South America or in Africa of them breeding a new type of mosquito that was going to have this kind of. Uh, what was it going to have? It was going to have some genetic mutation that would allow it not to spread certain types of disease. I don't know if it was dengue fever or malaria. Don't quote me on this. But what ended up happening, oh, yeah, these these mosquitoes could never reproduce or whatever and stuff like that. Right. Well, to to quote the great movie Jurassic Park, life found a way. They found that these things, they, <laughs> they these, uh, these mosquitoes have reproduced and have passed on their genetics to <laughs> right um, <laughs> mosquitoes that reproduce, and these were done by the, the the best and the brightest scientists. So that tells you right there, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the priesthood. I may have my doubts and skepticism about these anarchist biohackers, but I for damn sure don't have a lot of confidence in the anointed priesthood of academia. Because, oh, yeah, this shouldn't happen, and then it did. Famous last so, words. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some skepticism there, man. So, <laughs> All right, so next story here, man, just to kind of move on down the line, is, my, is our statism on the march. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's a regular or reoccurring segment within the show, but this time we're going to focus on India. And what's going on in India today? Well, and we're going to get into a long one on this one, Gary, because... It's a trend I've been seeing for the past, ever since 2016. And what happened in 2016? Oh, you know, Brexit, Trump, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the migrant crisis. Um, I think uh, the Rohingya conflict broke out in, uh, in uh, Asia. But let's, before, I don't want to digress. Let's, let's, let's keep on point here and then we can get into those, uh, those effects here. That are causing governments to, you know, march towards statism. So India said on Monday that it is moving ahead with a plan to revise existing rules to regulate intermediaries. Those intermediaries are described as social media apps and uh, other types of kind of uh, internet intermediaries that allow users to create content. And they're worried about this because it may be causing, quote-unquote, unimaginable disruption to democracy. Mm. So, you know, the, uh, I, get, uh, I get a little triggered when I see the word democracy. Now, not that I hate it with a passion. I know, uh, as the great uh, Kevin Williamson once said in a podcast that resonated with me, it's a very convenient democracy is a very convenient tool because it's a substitute for violence but um you know so it's a necessary evil um but every time i see that word of the when i see the word democracy associated with we can't have disruptions uh disruptions in it because of said internet intermediaries it sounds very familiar so in a legal filing from the ministry of electronics and information technology the what (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Some uh, that's, that's the one thing that the that the Indian government inherited from Western civilization, particularly their colonial masters, the British bureaucracy. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so um, they said. Uh, okay. So basically, they said um, 
the internet had emerged as a potent tool to cause unmitigated disruption to the democratic piety. So what does that translate, translation mean? Well, does this sound familiar? Uh, the case against social networks exacerbating toxic discourse online and using said uh, platforms to harm our democracy. If you've ever read a tech article over the last three years, or and particularly this week with the news that Twitter is going to not allow paid political ads on their platform, and all the and of course that Facebook will allow paid political ads on their platform, even if those paid political ads are somewhat false, that basically uh, allowed the NPCs in the tech press to go uh, completely ape guano um, because they think that these uh, platforms have very deratelious, eh, let me stop using big words, negative effects on our democratic processes and civil discourse. And so what you start to see is like, based on the fact that like the Indian Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology wants oversight over these, uh, these intermediaries, uh, and you know, because they're, they're looking at these intermediaries as growing threats to individual rights. I don't see how that's possible. That's, that's and the opposite it, of the truth, it, right? This is true, right? These platforms in their entirety have allowed greater individual rights. Right. Yeah, they're just they're just they're just saying stuff to, you know, scare people. Well, because here's the deal the, to finish the rest of the quote and the nation's integrity, sovereignty and security. So mm-hmm. anytime I hear a government official in a bureaucracy talking about in national integrity, sovereignty and security, that should state security, that should give you pause. My democracy. Mm-hmm. No state power right so we've actually had and i think you know we'd have to go back and figure out which episode we discussed it but this isn't the first time the uh, the indian uh bureaucracy hasn't feared because i thought they were like wanting to block certain oh it was uh um dota they were wanting to block access to dota the video game because of its uh unimaginable disruption it was causing they were also jumping all over whatsapp because people were spreading fake news on whatsapp now the thing i don't like about using uh blunt force instruments of government to force a platform to police what people do on it right i think Mm. i think that's so backwards I, i the thing i don't like about it is Ultimately, that has knock-on effects for people outside the jurisdiction for which this bureaucracy is now telling a particular platform that it now must police certain things. Because I think, because um, people are, remember, I don't like humans, and so humans ruin everything. We suck. And I think, yeah, we suck. And I think, and I tend to remember f- from the WhatsApp a, a story about them spreading fake news about certain individuals in India spreading fake news and that causing mobs that are getting people lynched and killed. Um, you know, newsflash, this happens in third world countries. And I use the word third world specifically all the time. Yeah, um, it does. Long before 
there was uh, mass media distribution via internet intermediaries, rumors were spreading all over the place. Right. Um, about certain things. I mean, e- even Bill Gates ran into this when he was trying to do his polio eradication. A lot of the areas in uh, one of the countries for which polio was still kind of a problem in a lot of the provinces was in northern Nigeria. And come to find out when they dug into the data and put people on the ground, it was people just spreading rumors that the vaccine was evil and that it was going to cause all these, you know, they, they, they were anti-vaxxers before anti-vaxxers were their thing. I mean, just a, just a few weeks ago, Ecuador was having mass riots and, uh, and uh, protests and stuff because the government, of course, just not to get too sidetracked, but to make your point of the, you know, the rumors and the, the misinformation that causes um, uh, these kinds of problems. Um, The government has been subsidizing fuel prices for years, but they can't afford to do it anymore. The government basically said, okay, well, we're going to remove the subsidies. And based on what, the people in control of the fuel companies were telling the indigenous people, of course, they target the, the lowest educated and the, and the, uh, you know, I, I, I guess the, the, the weakest members of society in, in, yeah, in the, the, weak, the most weak minded members of society, the, the most I mean, weak minded, we... let's put it that way. Um, they were spreading the information to them that this was an attack on them from the government and they needed to uh, rise up, which they did and forced the government to reinstate the subsidies that they can't afford. So it was a, it was kind of a disaster and a, a really sad case because it was a hundred percent based on misinformation and, um, and rumor. Right. Spread. And, and here's the deal. Either, I'm pretty sure that that misinformation was spread over a social media campaign. That does not mean that 25, 30 years ago, it just wouldn't have been rumor and innuendo, right? right. The, 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 the most bloody mass genocide of the 90s used the good old-fashioned radio, mm-hmm. and that was the Rwandan genocide, <laughs> to right. amp up people to go out with machetes and murder their neighbors. So... Should I mean, I don't hear anybody talking about, you know, how terrible radio is. Radio is heavily regulated globally. So it doesn't matter. It was it's it's it doesn't matter what regulation you put on anything. In this instance, they're going to put these regulations on these social media apps. And there's a component of social media apps. They don't understand or social networks. They don't understand. It's social. Right. Um, It doesn't matter ultimately what the platform is if people are going to go about going committing mass murder or spreading terrible rumors or you know drumming up lynch mobs they're going to organize on whatever medium exists and as you, the, as you said life days, it was the life life will find a way right <laughs> yes life will find a way and humans will find a way to be terrible of and, course. and 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 so but you know this is this very you know, m- you know, maternalistic nature of government to think that, well, this ministry of technology, uh, electronics and information technology is going to somehow force these companies to implement more, more draconian methods 
you know, and these are typically regional things, right? Because there's regional jurisdictions that, are ha- that have their own thing, and that has knock-on effects for the rest of us. And so, you know, the regulatory pushes in other jurisdictions have knock-on effects. They just do. Um, right. And this is and this is eerie of the status talking points that are sweeping the world when they want to villainize tech and social media platforms. Again, you hear it all the time that social networks are exacerbating the toxic discourse and, you know, the, these social media companies need to do more to stop misinformation and the spread of fake news. And, you know, this stuff is harming our democracy and harming our civil discourse. You're putting, you know, how many how many tech stories have we heard? Have, have we lamented over the last, you know, year that, that, that are bringing up the same narrative? And, this, and, and these have legal and, and, and technical impl- implications way beyond one market where we want to protect. So I've, bec- I've come up with this radical notion. And maybe it's me, it's me showing my, um, what is it, what was it called when I was taking international relations? My, my not ethnocentrism, right? But my, but I guess, I guess my, yeah, I guess, I guess my kind of ethnocentric view from a Western perspective of how I think the world works. Have I, I've, I started to ask myself a question when it comes to like these platforms that we've built here in the United States of America, right? Let me put on my nationalist MAGA hat for a second. Maybe, just maybe the rest of the world doesn't know or appreciate liberty. And so maybe they don't deserve it. And maybe they don't deserve the platforms we create in the Western world that helps them become better. Hmm. So what America has had... America has had like a huge hand in developing and providing like these platforms that the rest of the world uses to to become more liberated and, and stuff like that. But like, but I don't think the rest of the world appreciates it. I mean, they 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 don't they seem to just uh, what is it like instinctively just worship at the altar of the state, become very pater- you know maternalistic about how they. We, we should allow these technologies to be used because they're, they might be used to undermine the power of the state. Um, I guess we just haven't inculcated with these technologies that we've allowed your Facebooks, your Twitters, your WhatsApps. And stuff. Maybe we just haven't inculcated a culture of liberty, self-reliance and tolerance for human experiences. I, 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 I think that's a hundred. I think that's a hundred percent correct. I think that you can't, introduce a tool like this um, to be used as an expression of liberty into a place where they are unfamiliar and, or don't know what this means. You know, you, you, right. it, you're putting the cart before the horse, especially, I mean, I don't know if anyone's really, you know, seen these as, oh, this is going to be great to teach people about freedom and, in you know, self-expression and whatnot. Well, I, I, I don't know that it is a good tool for that. I, I think it's kind of a confusing tool from that perspective. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, maybe they're may, maybe it's not that they don't deserve it. Maybe they're just not ready for it. Maybe they haven't been prepared. Yeah, I think so. I Because uh, if you probably talk to the average Indian citizen on the street and stuff like that, I'm willing to suspect that 90% of them think this is a good idea. Yeah. And... But if you do that here, <laughs> it used to be 90% would think it would be a bad idea. Now, I read a lot of tech articles and a lot of articles and look at, listen to a lot of people that age talk about it. You would probably get, it'd probably be 50-50. 
You and, think and it'd be I, that that high? Uh, I I think so. I don't. I me and you, if they, if if you know, we're Joe Blow on the street of our age and our our generation. Someone would walk up to me and says, "Hey, do you think it'd be a good idea if the government uh, had a?" Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology that would then regulate social media networks and how and what they do. The first thing that would come out of our mouth was, "Get the f out of here, man! Yeah. What are you talking about?" You hell, know, what I mean? hell no. Or, or, I, or I'd not, laugh. not only no, but hell, the, hell, the f no. Right? right. <laughs> well, this is a terrible idea. This yeah, we, we can't idea. do this. <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if people twenty years younger than us are thinking the same way. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I, have, I hope that I hope there's a good contingency that are. I think there's the the millennial. There's a there's a certain segment of the millennials that are just those are your future statists. Right? Yeah, those are your future leftists, and yeah. they're always going to be. I think though, at least my children look with the because I've taught them well with the utmost skepticism every time someone from the generation says something stupid like the government should do x well those are the those are the key words right there do you think the government should okay let's take a pause here (laughs) first of all no no i mean even even if it's like providing you know you know um health care to the homeless even deep down in my heart i'm like eh, if the money's there we should do it you know that's the that's the that's the pragmatic that is the Slightly almost anarchist Thaddeus would be like, Get the F out of here, man. What you talking about, man? Yep. Get that out of here. I, I should slap that suggestion out of your mouth. Don't you ever say that, dude. No. <laughs> and, and so, but that's. Well, but we that's, have to, that's, you have to temper, you know, yes, idealism with practicality. So, <laughs> this is true. I try, I try to do that all the time. Um, but yeah, look, just, but I mean, you got it. Well, that's the thing, right? This is only a, this is a global phenomena. They they they, have, they want they want regulations like this in the UK. Um, China is lost. Um, there's yeah. going to be regulation. There, this regulation is is being climbed for in Canada and North or North America in general. Right. And and so yeah, it's it's why they're dragging Mark Zuckerberg up to Capitol Hill every three to six months to yell at him about something. Right. And, and it's going to become it's going to become a quagmire. I mean they. You know, we talk about New World Order and all this crazy conspiracy stuff. But honestly, with the different regulations that are coming out, I mean, California, like you said, they've got the CCPA that's uh, going into effect uh, January 1st of 2020. uh, And there's overlap of that with the GDPR and then these new regulations in in India. I'm sure there's going to be overlap with that. It's just going to become a quagmire, and it's going to become impossible to um, to comply with every single regulation that you know gets layered on you. And at some point, there's going to be a call for one global standard that you know uh, basically pulls us all into that you know closer to that one world government, new world order, whatever you want to call it. As silly as that is. I, I used maybe, to think but... that sounded silly. Now I'm starting to kind of see elements of it. And it's, I, I dare I say it, it's coming from corporations. And it's basically corporations wanting to just, hey, just give us the rules of the road so we can just do business. And right. 
we will implement whatever you want to implement. Just let us but, do but business. Make it, but make it black and white so that we know yeah. exactly what we have to do. And, you know, as long as we embrace this idea that there have to be regulations, which I think you I think you brought up a good point. It is spreading and it is culturally more acceptable now to just accept that the the state is in charge and they will dictate what is going on. I, I, I hate it. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we, we, we hate it. I mean, the the very nature of this podcast is to point out the fact that it exists, and that even in technology circles, which were what has always been traditionally from a liber- techno libertarian in in its outlook, that it's spreading, and that these are counterintuitive to the very things that make technology liberating. Um, right. Uh, you know, from CRISPR, right? Like the first thing, even us, we fall into the trap of like, well, I feel a little bit more comfortable if there's some clinical trials that are government sponsored that are, you know, doing this. But at the same time, like, but wait a minute, you know, that will slow things down. People will die um, yeah. waiting for the government to say, all right, you now have our permission to save lives with your new you know, drug. well, and they're and they're going to require clinical trial. It's not a clinical trial on the technique. It's a clinical trial on each individual implementation of that technique, and and most importantly, the outcome. Right, right. That, that, I mean, the the part of the, the biggest part of clinical trials is is really measuring outcome, or as as is called in the medical efficacy of said technique or drug. Right. Um. And I understand that, but it, I I do think there's lots of people dying. Or dead, because we've waited for that. Yep. You know, and 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 so that's why I think you know I was very excited to hear about the new you know CRISPR Cas9 technique as this kind of liberating us from you know these these earthly troubles that is you know being human. Um, in one instance, we can probably it's funny like let's let's bring this full circle. In one instance. From a genetic standpoint, we're going to get better, right? We're going to be healthier going forward because of what we know about nutrition and what we know about, you know, you being able to edit our genes to get rid of these inheritable human diseases. But the one thing we will never be able to correct is the human tendency to not really like liberty, um, to, 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 to always uh, heed to an authority figure. And like I said, like, you know, the reason why TechCrunch even posted this story about the Indian regulation is the fact is, is the fact that most of their probably editorial board is very sympathetic to government doing things about this stu- type of stuff because it's right. too much freedom, too much fake news, mm-hmm. which basically basically all fake news is, is like just is too much freedom to just say what you want. And they don't like that. And they particularly don't like that because their worldview is not reflected in the things that are that are very popular online, right? That right. are very popular online. All things are political, my friend. And so, yeah. I don't know. We'll keep an eye on this. This is going to have terrible consequences. Absolutely. <laughs> continuing terrible consequences. And it's the continuing march towards statism. And uh, it's, um, well, for lack of a better word, it's gross. It's gross. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> All right. Next story here, man. Verizon's 5G network can't uh, cover an entire basketball arena either. <laughs> um, so this is kind of, you know, it's tongue in cheek, right? 
Um, we can get very technical about this, or we can get very, um, I don't know, very philosophical about it. But, like, here's the deal, man. These 5G networks are being deployed. Everyone has trials in certain cities and stuff like that. Verizon has had trials in Minneapolis and Chicago, and now they're trying to cover NFL and uh, NBA uh, facilities. And what they're finding is, is, is what we found in real-world tests with really terrible phones and real-world tests with increasingly better phones and mobile devices is if you're using 5G in the millimeter wave um, wavelengths, it sucks um, for range. But it's amazing for speed and, and, and latency. As long as you're right um, next to the tower, right? Yeah, as long as you're right next to the you know microwave <laughs> tower, um, <laughs> because there's 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 phys- there's physics involved with this deployment. And I've said this from yeah, in the, a lot of the early episodes of Thank You for Your Servers. I kind of explain like, look, we get to see this in the real world, and with real world data that allows you to design better antennas, better techniques, better you know RF. Uh, interference mitigation techniques and, and etc. And so, yeah, basically what they found here is, you know, they put them for the 2019-2020 basketball season, I guess they put these, um, you know, their 5G uh, capable, um, their 5G system in these facilities. And the NFL stadiums are tough because it's a bigger area. Um, arenas typically are much more closed in but again, it's still a large area. You also have the fact that, like, if you have a lot of people using not only the existing 4G within the arena, the Wi-Fi which is in the arena, the wireless microphones that are in the arena, and then you, and then on top of that, you add this kind of microwave, this millimeter wave stuff. The entire noise floor, uh, um, electromagnetic noise floor, raises, which means it's harder for signals to peep up above the noise to be captured, and so you get higher bit error rates. Um, you need to incorporate uh, incorporate more forward error correction for the transmit and receive. And so, yeah, like so, what they're finding is there's significant limits to this. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they. So, I, I, I think they kind of pushed it a little a little hard you know in the in advertising oh yeah we're going to have 5g in all our arenas well yeah well why don't you qualify that and say this is a test um it's a trial you know it may not be perfect you know but instead of coming out and saying oh yeah we got 5g in all our arenas well yeah there are barely but (laughs) yeah there are barely any phones with the millimeter wave 5g installed that exist they're they're literally what two at least right. available here in the United States. I think there's a Samsung and I think there's like a no, one I don't even think OnePlus has their phone out yet. Um, and then you got to think there's 5G is 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 a standard and it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily linked to a piece of the electromagnetic spectrum, i.e. frequency. So there's actually going to be three or four bands that are, exist Currently, uh, Verizon's implementation is in the millimeter wave band, so that's like, God, I think that's I think that's I think that's 18 gigahertz and up. Um, then eventually, there's going to be mid band, and I think that's going to be between two gigahertz and six gigahertz. Um, on the lower side of that, Sprint has a lot of that stuff, 2.5 and three gigahertz stuff, which is why it was very very important for T-Mobile to acquire Sprint, not simply because of its customer base, but because of its spectrum. Um, and then and then there's T-Mobile, and they're going to deploy theirs in 
all, all bands that they had access to, particularly 600. I, they were going to get 5G over 600 megahertz. It will travel further, but it won't be as fast mm-hmm. because you have you know less uh, uh, the frequencies. The frequency is lower. And so that means, you know, I could get into the bits per hertz thing. But, yeah, it, it, it's just going to be it's going to be fat. It's going to be faster for latency. So the amount of time round trip time it takes for you to send a packet and receive a packet over the electromagnetic spectrum in the 600 megahertz range. But it won't be as fast. It won't be the gigabit speeds you're seeing for some of the tests, the 5G tests that we have seen. Yeah. Um, and truth be told, in the real world, when there are when there are a significant number of these five G capable devices around, that's going to change. Um, sure. There are there are techniques in the standard for um, m- you know, multiple antennas in- arrays installed in not only the towers but also the phones themselves. The ability to do beam forming in real time that requires machine learning on on the phone so that it can absolutely so that it's some of the techniques I saw when I went to um, uh, uh, a conference two years ago was basically like it will beam form and, and it will be connected to it can be connected to up to two or three antennas at the same time. And it will mitigate it will uh, modulate its power based on which one you're closest to. And it will home it will what they call home to see what if you're in motion, what's the next available tower and then it will need to negotiate that connection so that when you leave one cell to another cell, it then could it know it has already pre-negotiated the connection to the next tower. It's it's going to be the truth be told. You're going to you're going to in the next couple of years, your phone will have a supercomputer just installed just to handle antenna and just to handle your antenna and your right. and your RF communication link with the tower, um, even in 4G. So, yeah, but I'm very happy to see that at least companies are trying to get out here and test this stuff and be like, oh, yeah, that's not going to quite work yet. The chipsets aren't there yet. The phones aren't there yet. The towers aren't even there. And we're going to need, particularly if we do millimeter wave 5G, we're going to need tons of towers, probably double what we have now. Right. Um, And they're going to need to be on, you know, light posts and. They're going to need to be everywhere, and then you're going to have your crazies come out of here saying like, "What? Well, hey, I'll sell a piece of, I'll, I'll sell access to a piece of my house for a tower. I, dude, thousand dollars a thing. month. <laughs> and 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 I think that's what's going to have to happen. It's going to need to go on residential structures, and I think um, in the future there will be residential structures that have um, internet via five G because it, it's going to be it's going to be possible. They're going to be quite capable. Well, and that and that'll be more. Um, That'll be easier to implement too, because you've got a a uh, less variables to deal with in a stationary structure, right? Right, absolutely, right. Um, the only thing that's going to stop you from doing much of anything is weather at at certain frequencies. Is weather sure? Uh, particularly particularly millimeter wave, like millimeter wave. If it's foggy, um, you're screwed. Here in the, in the desert southwest, if we get a good dust storm, that'll screw you up too. Yeah, because. Yeah, you know, because there are fine particles of sand that throws off because of how small the frequent uh, the, the the wavelengths are. Um, but no, I'm I'm anxious with this. I'm glad that like that T-Mobile and Sprint. It'll take another couple months to have closed this deal because then they can get on with the business of deploying this stuff. Um, I'm not going to get. I'm really not. A fi- I'm not going to really get 5G until eh. 
I think I've given myself 2021 is when I'll start looking around for a service and a phone and stuff and see and start actually testing the service out for myself. Um, you know, I, I might play around with it if T-Mobile really does the wide deployments they say they're going to do next year. I may buy a, like a dongle or something and play around with it, but I'm not going to pay any extra for it because I think yeah, 4G be, is just fine. It'll be interesting. I, I get what I need. I mean, shoot, what do I use it for? You know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not a I'm not a power user. I'm not doing streaming Correct. gaming or anything over, you know, while I'm driving down the road. It's just but here, yeah, not but my you, thing. You say that as, you say that as like you're not a power user, but like I have kids. That's all they do. Well, true. True. <laughs> so yeah, stream, no, I, I hear you. We're on a drive to Denver, and they're streaming, watching something. And I it's hear just like, you. This, yeah. That's just their use case. Um, they get pissed when we get in, in some of the dead zones between up here and Denver. You know, like I think when you get north of Las Vegas, New Mexico, and mm-hmm. you're heading toward Raton, it, there's a there's a kind of a dead – it's not a dead spot. It's just like you don't – there's just few towers, right, because there's nothing out there. But the fact is, I still have some internet connectivity in the middle of nowhere. Okay, let's let's always stop to think about it and realize as as a Gen Xer, like, hey guys, you know when you're in the middle of nowhere, you still get internet connectivity, right? You know when you're sitting on a plane going at you know Mach point five, you're on the internet via space. Like you're sending a signal right. to a Wi-Fi hotspot on a plane. It's going up into space. It's then going down to a ground station and then giving you Yahoo or Facebook. It it is amazing. (laughs) We live in the future, ladies and gentlemen. So CRISPR-9 is on the way. So there's much, much, much CRISPR-Cas9 is on the way. So there's much, much uh, room for optimism. These 5G networks are going to be revolutionary. They may not be. They may be a little just a slightly bit faster in uh, data rate, but the latency alone um, and the technology that will be employed to even get you the most reliable link necessary is going to change your lives. Um, it's going to become ubiquitous. And, like, the future is bright. Even if, you know, juxtaposed, juxtaposed, yeah, okay, about it, booted up against the fact that statism <laughs> is on the rise. Um, you know, it is. Right. But we're doing all right. And, 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 and that brings me to the last little story here which is kind of a rehash from last week or the week before um, when it comes to things to be optimistic about. And that is Google's quantum supremacy claim. So um, we sort of talked about this um, from a preliminary standpoint. So to kind of review, about uh, three, four, about three months ago, um, a paper leaked from NASA um, that uh, but that NASA and Google um, had done a, a experiment with their quantum computer and that they had achieved quantum supremacy using a programmable superconducting processor. Um, hence um, the name of the Nature article and paper that was leaked and now as of, as of the 23rd of October actually was released with the findings. And so everybody was, you know, all the mainstream press was all, you know, all up in arms and stuff. But if you really honestly read um, some of the paper and some of the people, I didn't read the full paper because I don't understand it. 
but I read smart people who gave synopsises, synopses of the paper. And basically they're just saying like, yeah, this, this is kind of an achievement. However, because the achievement was quantum supremacy on a basically a quantum circuit, a, quant a random quantum circuit creating random numbers that would require, that only required uh, the Sycamore quantum uh, superconducting processor 200 seconds, three minutes to do, and that a summit supercomputer could not do in its, in its conventional configuration, it would take a conventional supercomputer that was summit, which is the largest most powerful supercomputer that the DOE has at Oak Ridge National Labs, it would take that supercomputer 10,000 years to do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So IBM was a little pissed because, hey, Summit is our supercomputer, and we kind of did our own experiments based on the preliminary results of your paper, and it if we 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 prove that we could do it on our summit supercomputer in two and a half days, not 10,000 years. So let me, so that's fine. Maybe, <laughs> um, maybe Google was a little pipe. was a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know. They were a little bold. About they their, were a little bold. A little yeah. bold uh, grandiose about their, um, uh, claim of quantum supremacy, but let's put this in perspective here. So, um, you know, my, my favorite quantum skeptic and actually one of the guys who um, peer reviewed the Nature paper that was released, uh, Scott uh, Aronson from the University of Texas at Austin, um, says basically, uh, so what about this IBM thing, right? Um, are, random, are random quantum circuits easy to simulate classically? Well, he basically says, like, look, um, IBM argued uh, that if you can commandeer the summit supercomputer uh, and um, as it currently exists and um, basically use its 250, uh, basically use its 250 petabytes of hard disk space as well as its memory. Yeah, you, you, you know, you could do that. And that's what IBM was arguing. They said like, no, if you, you basically, if you use not just memory to do the calculation, but like swap space as we call it in Linux, i.e., you know, when you run out of memory, you use hard drive space. Mm -hmm. um, so basically they said, well, you could do this if you configure the supercomputer to use memory and it's 250 petabytes of hard disk space, then yes, you could do this calculation in approximately 2.5 days. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, that, there's, that's, a lot that's, of, that's, there's a lot of overhead to unpack. There. A lot of overhead there to unpack. So let's, first things first. One, it's two days to do the calculation versus three minutes. Still an almost exponential speed up. Even right. yeah, that's that's still an achievement. It might not be supremacy. It's probably more what uh, there's another term called quantum advantage. Okay, that's fine. Give I that's one knock against Google, right? But it doesn't completely negate what they said. <laughs> right. Or, right. Or, or, or at least it doesn't negate the paper. So, OK, there's that. Next. Do you think I work for the Department of Energy? Do you think that a year, IBM goes to Oak Ridge National Labs where they're doing classified, you know, physics experiments on nuclear weapons 
is going to be like, hey, so we need to use Summit, reconfigure the entire supercomputer, and run this experiment for two and a half days to prove Google wrong and do a mic drop. Um, one, um, Oak Ridge would be like, screw you, we're running classifieds experiments, we can't just stop this stuff. It right. take, you know, days <laughs> and months. Okay, let's say Oak Ridge says, okay, cool, you can do it. It will take IBM at least a week to reconfigure Summit to do this. And right. then run, you still have to run it for 2.5 days. Yeah, ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. And so like, and, and here's the deal. All, because of the nature, the exponential nature of qubits and you know quantum computers as they exist today, all they have to add literally is like two more qubits. And it would take two summits to calculate it. <laughs> so, and here's the deal. So, I mean, let me bring up the uh, the one guy here. So, um, what's his name? God dang it. Ah, I missed it. Uh, so, one of the uh, researchers on this is a guy by the name of, please don't autoplay. Yeah, you're going to autoplay. God, I hate that. Um, and it's still autoplaying and it won't stop. Okay, stop. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so a research scientist and uh, professor of physics uh, at Google and UC California Santa Barbara, who who kind of collaborated on this effort, uh, by a guy by the name of uh, John uh, Mar, was it Martin uh, Martinez? Um, he just gave a talk at uh, at uh, Caltech yesterday, and they basically said like, yeah, we already. It's like, yeah, we've we understand IBM's concerns. Um, we already prototyped the fifty-seven qubit system. And um, it's prototyped, you know, it's still not perfect, but we could probably, all we have to do is really, literally all you have to do is add a couple qubits. And I think one can truly say that might be quantum supremacy. That's taken to a fact that it's this really crappy, you know, quantum random circuit problem that has no practical use. Right. Um, but it is what it is, right? I mean, it's still an achievement. Sure it is. It's still an achievement. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, but good on IBM and calling them and say, hey, well, wait a minute. The, you know, the, the, the letter of the law for having bro broken quantum supremacy is no conventional computer on Earth could do it. Summit can still do it. We just have to completely reconfigure it. And we actually have to use all of its existing memory. Uh, not, no, all of its existing memory plus almost all of its hard drive space right. to conduct this experiment. So that the, that aside, though, I like this. I like this slap fight, nerd slap fight, right? Oh, crap. oh it's, it's it's great to watch. Ah, I just turned over some water. Crap! Damn it! Why was that water? Why was that water there? That sucks. All right, well, <laughs> I'll be okay. But no, I mean, I like the slap fight. I appreciate this. I appreciate it so much because we're going to get these things sooner rather than later. Um, I'm looking for, I would like to see other labs validate these results, build this similar architecture. Um, even the D-Wave system, which isn't really considered a quantum computer, is called a quantum annealer. The Los Alamos just bought one. Um, so these things are going to be entering the mainstream. They're going to be entering our industrial processes. And they're going to change the world. Because remember, the promise of quantum computers is massive parallelization, a analog representation of real-world physics in, in, a, in a kind of com computational form, 
and then the ability to simulate nature down to its subatomic elements. Right. Um, th- that that's going to help with CRISPR nine cast uh, Chris, uh, CRISPR Cas nine. That's going to help with machine learning algorithms for figuring out the best propagation paths for five G. It's going to figure out the best materials one could use for new antennas. That's going to create um, highly more efficient fertilizers. It's going to make uh, AI machine learning more efficient because really quantum computers are just extremely complicated optimization engines. Um, and so, yeah, like these, 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 these technologies are coming together. So despite our, our dire uh, uh, topic of statism on the march, the future is bright, and I, I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm loving this fight between IBM and and uh, and Google. It's a uh, it, it's Tesla Edison all over again, kind of. Absolutely, man, and uh, it's going to be great. We're going to get good stuff from it. Um, again, though, I want to see more companies with other kind of architectures for quantum uh, computers come out and, and do similar experiments. There are tons of startups. There's one startup out of my alma mater by the name of IonQ. Um, that, that that's doing a promising kind of architecture for quantum computing that doesn't require like um, to be in a dilution chiller, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like at negative, t- you know, a billion degrees or whatever to r- work. It can actually work at room temperature. It just works in a vacuum. It has <laughs> to work just, in a vacuum. Did you say negative a billion degrees? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I don't know I, because it's like it's like single digit Kelvin, which I don't. I think it's not a billion. I think it's no. It's like, something. It's like minus four hundred and. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 colder than deep space. So, so I mean, so these systems aren't really practical now. Um, but I want to see. But there, but this is also going to spur more development in the the area of quantum computing, which you're seeing a lot of now, and it's actually kind of developing into a little bit of a bubble. Yeah. Um, but you know, out of bubbles come innovations. Um, even if a lot of these companies will be defunct and or acquired, uh, innovation will come out of this. This fight is. Is, is amazing. I'm super, super happy about the fact that like the thing that I was studying for 10 years is actually starting to come to fruition. Um, and that there are and now I actually do see applications for it in the future. And I, I'm, I'm, I, for one, am going to embrace my AI overlords run by quantum computers. So that said, we have come toward the end of our rant. Um, a quick aside, Mark Zuckerberg did have to, was dragged up to Capitol Hill this week, or last week. I'm, was it this week or last week? I can't even remember. Uh, I believe it was this week. This week. Okay, so he's dragged up to Capitol Hill for uh, to, for them to browbeat him about Libra. And they subsequently just browbeat him about his platform and like political stuff. And if one is to think that our anointed rulers are going to be able to run our healthcare, our education system, and even our foreign policy and military, I would encourage our listeners to watch that testimony and the most stupidest questions that they asked him, half of which didn't even pertain to Libra, and tell me that these anointed people that you worship at the altar of should be in charge of your lives. It was mind-numbing when i when i i saw that i'm like they were asking him questions that had no relevance ocasio-cortez was he wasn't even the worst asking questions 
Um, it, it, it was it was painful to watch. And and here's the deal. We may not be fans of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, but I kind of felt sorry for the brother when he was up there trying. <laughs> like he's sitting there <laughs> like, wait, what? What do you talk? What do you mean the LGBT makeup of the people in the Libra initial in the Libra organization? Was the that what they were asking? I haven't watched oh, the dude, video. It was. Oh, you got to watch some of the clips. You're just oh, like, I'm going. I'm going to. Yeah, for what sure. What did that have to do? We got no nothing of substance. Basically, they're 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 gonna basically they're basically gonna kill the Libra Initiative anyway, right? Um, by virtue of government fiat. But like, it was just an opportunity for them to grandstand and browbeat. Was, and it was like, was this the, was, was this the same uh, interview where they were asking him questions? As someone, I, I remember a headline that kept popping up in my feeds all over the place, and it was, "Watch Mark Zuckerberg's." reaction when they compare him to donald trump and that's all it was that there was like might have, that might have been in that same congressional because te- that was like a six five six hour testimony he had to say uh, grueling <laughs> and so yeah i think he did and so and it's sad because because again like i said last week facebook is this very imperfect messenger libra it was something that could have been great um yeah. And, and and so they're they're what they're going to do is they're going to jump through all the hoops, but no 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 government is ever going to approve this, right? right? One because it's Facebook, two it's because it's a it's a check on their power, right? Because it's an alternate currency system that they have no control or visibility in, right? And so that that's bad. And so I wanted the mainstreaming of cryptocurrency. I guess we'll just stick with the crypto anarchists that are out there who are kind of absolutists kind of a pain in the ass um i i am very simpatico with their uh their vision but you know kind of like kind of like anarchists they can be dicks um and so it's just kind of one of those things where it's just like but i mean they're right i i believe ultimately they will be on the right side of history but i thought there would be some cachet associated with libra because at the time when they announced it i mean they had paypal visa and mastercard support um, and they had a little, and they were even going to have some support from Coinbase. Boo hiss! But mm. it's, well, I'll, it's I'll make sure to look up that video. I want to. I'm gonna look at the video, man. It's crazy. I got. I got to. I got to see that. That's just. Yeah. I, okay. I've been looking for an excuse to shake my head at something today. So. Oh, dude, it's it's. <laughs> I I I don't I, I I again I don't know how people slavishly worship at the altar of these people who are the anointed. They're stupid. I mean, I don't often say that they're stupid. I can't wait. And you want to give them, and you want to give them control over the current. You give them control over the banking system. You have, they have control over the education system. They have control over this. You want to give them control over the internet. You want to give them control over social media. You want to yeah. give them control over all these things. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, all no right. Thanks. All right. On that note, we gonna. I think we. I think we're done. Um, don't forget to follow me on uh, on Twitter at Nick Way. Um, listening to some of the other podcasts on the MLGA network, uh, definitely I've been really digging Voluntary Vixens. I've been really digging the Lesbitarian there. With like, I want to get. I, I haven't listened to uh, Kim's podcast yet. Yeah. I want to get into oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Still Ish. pretty good stuff. But yeah, the good idea. I mean, we should probably get on Instagram. Um, that seems to be what the kids are, are on. And also, we might want to kind of think about the you know, um, you know, maybe the maybe the uh, Patreon thing. But I mean, we can discuss that offline. But that's it for this week. 
Uh, thank you for logging into. Thank you for your servers. Again, I'm Thaddeus Preston. And I am Gary Guthrie. A.K.A. Gary Guthrie. A.K.A. And that's been it. <laughs> All right. Later, guys. Talk at you later.